Welcome back to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by EdiumProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to level up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Max Vangeli and Dennis Hiller from No Face Records. No Face was originally launched back in 2016 as a partnership with Armada, and they recently brought it back last year as a label, distribution, and education platform for artists. Many of you will know Max Vangeli from his classic releases on Armada and Saz Records, as well as his collaborations with artists like Tiesto, Steve Angelo, and Antone. It was great to have Max's business partner, Dennis, on the call because you'll get to hear the story of his growth from both the artist and the business perspective. And this just makes for an amazing conversation that is sure to inspire you to keep on hustling with your artist project. Now, in this episode, we start off with Max and Dennis's background, discussing how they both got their start in the music industry. We look at how they grew the Max Vangeli brand to an international level, even though they started out with pretty much no connections in the music industry. There's a lot that you'll be able to learn from the DIY entrepreneurial mentality that they put into Max's artist project, and overall, they offer a ton of advice for starting a business in the music industry. Now, on the label side, we discussed their initial concept for No Face Records and how they transformed it last year to create the record label that they wish they had early on in Max's career. We also discussed their production school and distribution platform, No Face Academy, and why aspiring artists shouldn't be shying away from indie and smaller labels. Later on, we discussed the importance of building a community with your artist project, which is important to them in growing the label, and why gaining DJ support really does next to nothing for growing your brand and artist project. We also talk about the importance of the right living environment, which for them means not living in LA, as well as their advice on starting a music business from scratch, whether it's an artist project, a record label, or something else. Overall, there's a ton to learn from the 15 plus years that they spent in the music industry, and I'm excited for you all to get into the interview. As we slide into the interview, I'm going to play you one of the latest tracks off No Face Records, a track called Rona V from one of their artists' clickbait, just to give you a feel for some of the music that they're releasing on the label. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM podcast with No Face Records. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Max and Dennis from No Face Records. How are you guys doing today? Good, man. It's good to be with you. Appreciate, uh, you know, everything you guys are doing at EDM Prod and really good to be with you, Connor. Yo, what's up, man? Awesome. We're good. Just chilling here, chilling at the studio. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about how you guys kind of came together, how you got into music, and then how you eventually founded No Face Records. So kind of start us off. I know you guys grew up together. So talk about like your early stages, kind of getting into the music industry together uh it's yeah we basically grew up in the bay area together uh we sort of met at a pretty uh early stage in uh in our lives i guess and uh way before the music scene so we were not really uh focused on that we we're just kind of running around doing our own thing uh you know what young people do i guess and then uh we sort of uh drifted apart uh, i went to call i went to uc santa barbara for school and then dennis was doing his thing on the business front and uh when i came back from college after graduating uh, i sort of decided to dive into the music industry 
And uh, that's kind of like where we reconnected because we were both kind of interested in doing some something in, something you know unique. And Connor, I'll tell you an interesting story. So this was back in 2008. I was, you know, we were in Silicon Valley at the time. I was very much involved in tech and not not music. And I was looking for a change. And as Max mentioned, we were very close and then we kind of drifted apart. Uh, And um, anyways, at one point, a friend of mine, she was going out in San Francisco in the underground world of, you know, electronic music back then. And she said, look, uh, and I and I had a couple of bad things happen in my life. So business kind of went to shit. And my girlfriend and I broke up the same day. It was a it was a whole thing. So she said, look, a friend of mine said, listen, stop moping around your house. I'm going to take you to a rave. I said, what's that? She said, you'll see. Uh, So she takes me to this um, uh, like illegal after hours, two in the morning. Uh, There's some sort of shady alley, a pizza parlor. You have to go in and there's some guys in leather jackets, very intimidating, the whole thing. And next thing you know, there's 500 people, okay, uh, illegally there in San Francisco. And there's three DJs playing, okay? So a couple, well, they were all local at the time, including Max. And I saw the first two play and they were good technically. um, And I didn't really know much about, you know, any of this stuff, but, you know, they were okay technically, but that was that. And then you had Max. And I was blown away because, you know, he was crowd diving. There was like this flimsy table he was on and he almost broke it. He jumped on it. There was a lot going on there. And I said, I I told myself, I said, I don't know what that was, but I believe in that. And everybody in this crowd believes in that. And if I could somehow turn whatever this is into a job, let's make it happen. Yeah. That is incredible. So when you kind of had that big epiphany and you thought, I want to turn this into a job, were you thinking, I want to be the DJ, I want to be around it, or did you really have kind of no idea what that was going to be yet? I'll, I'll be honest with you. So so as I mentioned, my background is is tech startups, and I've always been on the PR, marketing, branding, so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, and I was watching Entourage at the time and I was just really, you know, when you're, when you're from LA, you're intrigued with Silicon Valley. When you're from Silicon Valley, you're intrigued with entertainment. Some of us are anyways. I never personally wanted to be a performer or any of those things. I I just assumed I would take those same skill sets and apply them to the music industry instead of tech. So the Max, on your side, how did you get into DJing production? You said you like weren't initially into music, but then want, then got more inspired to be a part of it. So what did that look like from your side? Well, we're both uh, originally from Europe. So uh, during my college years and then uh, throughout high school, I would spend my summers in in Europe. And uh, as as many probably people know, like Europeans don't really have like strict age for like clubs and stuff like that. So I was start I was starting to go out. Uh, to clubs and seeing DJs at a fairly early age. And, uh, and when, you know, like we can all talk about, you know, Chicago house, New York and all that, but like, realistically, like the majority of the movement has always been coming from Europe over the years. And and that was kind of like where, where the scene was always booming. Like you don't, you rarely see clubs in a lot of these places in Europe where you got to, you have to find places where they play hip hop. You know what I mean? Like nowadays it's a little bit uh, more evened out, but back in the day you go to the clubs and I was like listening to all this music. It was like Bob Sinclair was popping off. Like David Guetta was dropping like his albums, like at a very early age. 
and and I'd come back with these records to college, and I was like, man, this this stuff is so fire. And I and we started doing uh, these club par- uh, these house parties uh, in uh, in college, and I started like playing this music, and a lot of people never never heard of that stuff. So when I graduated, uh, I went back home to San Francisco. And, you know, San Francisco is a great scene for uh, for clubbing and stuff like that. So I was like, yo, let me, uh, you know, let me get into this uh, thing. My parents had a heart attack, obviously, because I, uh, you know, I, I went to business school. You know, they've spent all this money on my education. And I asked them to get a couple of decks for my graduation uh, as my graduation gift. It's funny because he, Dennis is talking about the confidence stuff. Like I, I've always been, I guess we've both, both always been like these kind of people, like when, like when I want something, I usually just be like, all right, so here, what are the steps I got to do to achieve it? And I, I was going in with a mindset that we're going in the arena, essentially, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Initially, our first objective was just to take over San Francisco. And I think, uh, we may have rubbed some people in the local scene the wrong way because we came in there like we own this thing. Okay. Nobody knows yeah. it yet. We're making $30 a show. Yeah. We drink more than, you know, maybe we earn, uh, but we own this city. And, and in some ways learning the, uh, you know, what it takes to put on a good show, what it takes to bring in the audience, who the club owner is, what a festival is, all of these components on the ground really helped us as we then, you know, took it to an international level. So in those early stages, were you a part of like the Max Vangeli brand, Dennis? Like what was kind of like your interaction outside of him being the more performer? In in any local scene, there's um uh, there's uh, there's a lot of politics, right? Um and 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 back then the local scene was your entry into bigger and better things. So yeah. uh what 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 I did is I really looked at Max and and looked at what were the opportunities in front of him, which were playing uh initially you know opening slots and i was like you know what this is bs we want we want main stage uh, we want to play in the biggest club in the city which at the time was ruby sky and we set out goals you know we set out goals for literally we said look in two years or less headlining ruby sky doing this doing that and so i got to the the marketing the promotion etc and the promoters in the city who were all Honestly, most of them were really jaded and tired and they probably should have retired years ago. Um, you know, they said, no, we're not going to book you guys. You don't have enough for a pool, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people get discouraged by that and they quit or they say, fine, we're just going to be the opener. And and so, you know, there were there was like this team of openers in San Francisco who would uh, who'd been opening for 10 years. And we said, no way, yeah. we don't have time for games. We're not doing this. They're and still open. And they're still opening. They're great guys, but they're still opening in women. So, so to make a long story short, uh, I went in, Max went in, and and we just went really hard. And and we were younger in life. So what I mean by that is, we may, first of all, we created our own promotion company. Okay, and we said if nobody wants to book us, we're going to buy out clubs. We had other businesses at the time. We're going to do whatever it takes to own this thing, bring our own crowd. We didn't have a crowd at the time. We had some people we knew who went out, so we started going out. You know literally uh practically seven nights a week we started putting max's face all over san francisco guerrilla marketing online marketing we were the first ones on facebook before any of these dinosaurs knew what it was you know all that stuff we we 
we made it a mission. And also we looked at, you know, tourists, San Francisco is a touristy city. And we thought, and we made deals with the hotels and said, listen, if anybody's going out, send them to our party. We literally lived and breathed this thing, Connor, for, for two years. And, and we made it happen both on that level and the international level remixes, production, all that. But my job, uh, uh, was, was just to make sure that Max Vangeli was synonymous with San Francisco nightlife at the time. Where did you learn? Obviously, you said that you came kind of from the tech side where you had the more marketing PR experience, but where did you learn those more intricacies that it took to get Max to the point that he got to? So so at the time when when I made the pivot into this, I was coming from the world of Silicon Valley tech startups. And I was the first employee at a company called Anchor Free, which recently got acquired. Um, and, uh, you know, and then helped co-found another uh, tech startup called Yulu, which is which is still around today. Thank goodness. And between these two companies and I never went to college. OK, uh, uh, I mean, a few community college courses, but that never at the time really interested me. And so I was always obsessed with PR uh, with, I, you know, you know what obsessed me? I, 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 I thought, you know, when I'd open a newspaper or turn on CNN or something, I'd say, Okay, but there's a reason why this is here. There's a reason why this is here. Like, like, take this show. There's a reason why we're here. It's not an accident. Our PR guy hit you yeah. up. Things happened. You know, thanks for having us. Bottom line is that always intrigued me. And I worked on that skill set at a pretty high level for four years. And, you know, uh, because I didn't have an education uh, uh, and I sort of talked my way into these things and creating these companies and working with these amazing people and investors and everything, I sort of learned as I went and, uh, you know, spent lots of time reading tutorials, whatever. I faked it till I made it basically. And then I took exactly (laughs) the same approach to music. Yeah, dude. It's so funny. Like, People are so funny, man. Like a lot of people sit there and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the best producer in the world and and God will come and touch my shoulder and and I'll play at EDC. You know what I mean? Like I get these guys that are like, yeah, I'm just going to sit here. Like a lot of people don't realize is that like, unless you're like Skrillex, you better be making calls Uh because if you're not making calls, you ain't getting any calls. You know what I mean? I mean, people don't like to think that. They like to think that true music shines through, but even their favorite artists, the ones that are very successful, have an incredible team behind them. And it's just naive to think that your music for 99.99% of people will ever be to that point that you don't need any of that. Like even Flume, you know, as big as he is and as a phenomenal of a producer he is, he wouldn't be where he is if it weren't for the future classic team that did all of the marketing and promotion to get him and his image to this point. Hundred percent, and you know what? A lot of people say, "Look, I'm a, a studio lab rat. I just want to make my music. I don't want to do the socials. I don't want to do these other things." And it's and 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 you have to call them on their BS because that's not accurate. Because the thing is, if you really wanted that, if you just wanted to be a musician and that's it, get into syncing. But a part of you wants to be known yeah. by this world as a producer and an artist. That's why you're out there. Okay. Music is a form of expression. So if you're choosing to express yourself publicly and you need to get out there and make some noise, do that. Or otherwise go be a behind the scenes person and stop crying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was that something obviously like Dennis had a lot of the weight in terms of the promotion and growth. Max, was that something that you enjoyed as well, or were you more focused on the music performance aspect of it? You gotta love all that shit. Because the thing is, 
I love all sort. I love everything that I love everything that comes together with the marketing, PR, exposure, and all that stuff because I'm a big believer in in carrying the brand. Like you gotta like like for example, you know, you got guys, you know, like you mentioned, like you know, Flume. Like he has a team, okay. Flume is the type of guy that needs a team. I mean, he's a he talks about it all the time that he's like, you know, he's not yeah. he's a more of a studio guy than a, a you know than than a performer, not a performer, but more like than touring and stuff like that. I I'm sort of like both. It's yeah. almost like being a great chef without having other people try your food. You know what I mean? You know what yeah, it is, yeah. Max. Uh, just speaking from the side, Max loves this business. Okay, yeah. loves the music, loves the marketing, loves talking to people. Just li you live and breathe it. You know. Yeah, because the thing is, like a perfect example, like uh, after like the Swedish House Mafia wave and all of that stuff. Like uh, you know, when we went in, kind of we went in the in the caves, but for a different reason. We went back to the caves these last couple of years. Uh, to uh, basically clean our guns is what we did. You know what I mean? Like we didn't go back because we're like, oh, Max is done or No Face Records is whatever. Like we we got big so early that it was it was all only it was like the first wave and and we had to kind of step back because we learned a lot and it, everything happened so fast that we were like, oh shit, okay, now we got to kind of rethink everything because a lot of people don't realize like guys like David Guetta, you know, like he had his first record that popped off at 35, not because he necessarily started producing at that age or, or doing his thing. Like this is an art form. Like a lot of people don't understand is that a career or any kind of a musical journey, whatever you want to call it, is such a yeah. process it's ridiculous like it's there's so much planning there's so much stuff involved and it and, and it kills me inside to see really talented dudes that tend to think that they're especially nowadays dude with social media dude like i i, I hope a lot of people hear this like and, and i do a lot of master classes in these uh, in the, these studios uh where i tell them i'm like guys look around most of you will not make it. And they're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe you said that. I'm telling you this because it's a fact. And if you want to change that, you got to change the whole perception. Like, because the way they're thinking nowadays, it's like, nah, dude, like, look at the numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I had that when I went to Icon Collective, which is a music production school in LA. And a lot of really great artists have came out of there. And I think a lot of people thought just by being there, they were guaranteed to be as big as them. And my mentality was if I'm not the best person in my class of about like 60 kids, odds aren't great for me. And I think you have to have that hunger mentality just because your competition, if you're trying to get to that point where you're playing at all your favorite festivals and venues is so, so, so steep. Also, like those big guys aren't going anywhere. Tiesto doesn't seem like he's retiring anytime soon. So it's not like those slots are just opening up every year. Yeah, dude. And you got to find, you got to find like, uh, you got to find new, uh, a new way. Like whatever you're doing with these is great. Like the thing is like the, the re one of the main reasons why Dennis and I kind of relaunched no face records is because we're like, all right, okay. We see how you guys want to play this game. The way the game is played is no one cares. And that's how it's yeah. played. So you got to come in and you got to shove that in so deep where people just can't, but like I learned that from Carnage, actually, I lived in Vegas with him. Great guy, by the way. A lot of people hate on him, but he's actually a great dude, really smart guy. 
And he's the one that taught me. He's like, yo, screw the noise. A lot of people are saying, oh, he's an ass. He does this. He does that. And he told me straight up, he's like, yo, if they're not talking about you, bro, it's over. Yeah. And, and honestly, if you look at this uh, journey that, that, that we've been on, uh, you know, together, then separately now together again, I mean, basically if you look at it sort of, you know, chronologically, so we did the San Francisco thing. Then we did the, the world thing, traveled all this, Max was all over the world. And then at some point, um, we were still working together, but we ended up uh, sort of splitting up because he was all around. He was all around the world, you know, doing yeah. uh, sensation wide EDC, all this other stuff. And and I wanted to see the uh, behind the desk side of things, shall we say. So I went I went out to L.A. as well, um, just like you in uh, 2012 and started holding meetings, all this stuff. Next thing you know, I was. Um, uh, running marketing for, uh, you know, size records, Steve Angelo, um, uh, working out of red light management, just, just doing the LA thing for a couple yeah. of years working, uh, you know, 17 hour days, all this. And, uh, to be honest with you, it kind of burned me out because, you know, the first wave, the first time we did this, I think we were, we were doing it for like different reasons. We wanted to party, we wanted to hang out, we wanted so many things and then you achieve them and you're like wait what do i want next and so that was kind of that and then we had like this period both separately and together which were like the lost years where you're like okay what am i doing what do i what is the meaning of life kind of thing and then literally you know when when max was talking about relaunching no face and you know that was that's been a four-year journey and i'd say we really sort of found our 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 purpose, our calling as a label, maybe, maybe about two years ago, where, where, you know, initially, you know, when you get into music, whether it's on the business side or, or, or an artist like Max, you're doing it, I would assume, especially at a younger age, because you want to party, you want to hang out, all these things, which are great, by the way. But now we found this new calling of trying to reinvent the music industry. And, and, and what I mean by that is we looked around and said, okay, what were things like, when we got into this, okay, uh, what wh- what is the label that we wish would have existed? Well, the label that we wish would have existed, a would get back to emails because almost every artist listening here knows <laughs> they send out a bunch of demos, and there's like cobwebs, right? And then and then beyond that, when you send in a demo to a label, that's the end of a creative process as an artist. But uh, you've been working on your record uh, or EP for a while. And, you know, it could have been a few weeks or even a few months. And this is a lot of yourself you put in. So we thought, okay, well, let's do a few things. Number one, let's start getting back to every demo. Okay. Number two, uh, let's let's get into the process before the demo. In other words, can we explain the business of music? Okay. Can we explain music production to you? Can we explain what a good label contract is? Can we create a label where we don't sign long-term deals with you? Meaning if uh, you sign a deal with uh, no face records, there's no options. There's no nothing. We sign your single and say, have a nice day. If you want to continue with us, great. If not, we'll send you a list. We have it. It's public of 50 record labels in the electronic scene, all their contact, because we want to be the label that breaks an artist. And if you get signed, as many of our artists have initially to No Face, then later to Spin It or to 
Armada to um, uh, yeah. to Dutch to all these other labels. We celebrate that, and they end up coming back not because we forced them, not because we handcuffed them, but because we choose to work in partnership with other labels. We choose to work in a way that helps artists, and we feel the more you live, the more, the more you give, the more you get. And it's really a ten year road, you know, from twenty twenty to twenty thirty, and hopefully well beyond. We're committed to elevating the next generation of electronic artists. So you kind of discussed this as what your vision is for No Face. And you also mentioned that it started in around 2016, and then you had like a relaunch a little bit later. Was this your vision at the start, or is this your vision after you guys took some time apart and then thought, okay, let's redo this and do this exactly how we want? You know, you know, it's funny, because uh, I, you know, I worked with two big labels. I, uh, you know, I worked with Size for many years when we were like really big. And then, and then I worked with Armada uh for about three years and i learned so much from working with these labels because uh, size was more of like an independent kind of a deal uh kind of with a major backing though and then armada obviously is armada and then i'm good friends with you know you know like i learned a lot from like hardwell also watching his how he's doing it and one thing that i learned i was like there you can have a label or you can have a community, you know what I mean? I can name a bunch yeah, of yeah. labels that are really big that, you know, we're not going to drop any names over here, but their music is garbage, to me at least, you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, again, we're not naming any names, you know? A lot of these guys are, you know, very famous, very well-known and stuff like that. But it doesn't matter because it's a community. It's kind of like, you know, if, you know, when you're like in, in high school and you have like the chess club and you're like, why are they going to the chess club? But they love it. You know, they're in there. They're yeah. like, yeah, we're playing chess. <laughs> it's the same thing with this. So do you want to be a community? I would pick a community any day over some kind of, a, oh, let's hope that, uh, you know, let's hope that Martin Garrix plays all of our music. Like, I get that. But the thing is, like, Mar what a lot of producers nowadays are not understanding is Martin Garrix is going to play your music, but that does nothing for you as a musician, because if you're not part of some kind of a community, then you, that's, that's one thing I learned. you got to be part of the community. Look at all the big ones. Look at all the big guys. Like, you know, you got, uh, Don, Di uh, you know, Don Diablo, you have Hardwell, you have Axwell, uh, obviously you have musical freedom with Tiesto. You have Armin van Buren, uh, with Armada, obviously, you know, size with Steve, uh, back in yeah. the day. And, and, and what do all these, what, and what do all these labels have in common? You can ask any of them, including Axwell, including Hardwell. And I have personally spoken to them about this. They all started the labels because nobody wanted to sign their shit. It's a fact. Okay. Yeah. That's why they started it. And once they started it, they built a community of things that nobody cared about and they created their own chess club. When you create yeah. your own chess club, you don't give a shit what people think. You know what I mean? If, if, like that's going back to carnage you know carnage can uh you know he can do the most fucked up thing on the internet where people are like god i can't believe that this guy is even alive you think promoters give a shit are you kidding me they do not care and that's what's missing it, that's what people are missing as far as and it's messed up to say of course because you're like oh you know like but i care about my arts yeah great you can care about your arts but at the same time if you want the world to care about your arts you gotta, you know, you gotta work with us a little bit over here. You know what I mean? But if you totally. really don't give a shit about everybody else, if you don't build your own community, then you don't have a career. 
And and if you go if you go back to the the history of No Face, so initially it was um, launched launched with Armada, and it was a part of the Armada family, which has its ups. And you know we have great relationships with with that team, uh, one of the strongest in the business, obviously. And then yeah. there are certain things that you can't do because you're a part of this machine, and so you know, there was this, this period and, and, you know, a lot of great music came out of it and other things. And that's really great. And then at some point, uh, we, we took it independent and, and it it had nothing to do with them, to be honest. It was a vision that we felt like we had to execute ourselves. Okay. We had to sort of take this thing independently because what we wanted to do is make social numbers irrelevant to make Spotify numbers irrelevant on the front end. Meaning whether you, we wanted to judge music um, just for its own sake. Okay. And have really low overheads and all these things. And so in other words, when you send a demo to demos at nofacerecords.com, we don't look at your following. We don't care if you're 12 and living with your mom or, or, or if you're, if you have millions of followers, none of that matters. We look at, let's look at uh, your music and if it speaks to us, if it's fire, you know what I mean? What, what we define as fire. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, if you have a following great, obviously that helps the numbers, but if it doesn't, we will gladly work with you and help you develop as an artist. And we felt like that was just something really important and something we could really get behind and give a whole new group of people a chance in addition to some of the bigger folks who we have relationships with. So kind of in like the other space of what you guys are doing with No Face right now, obviously you've talked about the importance and essentialness of a community, especially when it comes to labels. I think we could also talk about that in terms of artists too, but on your end, obviously you're trying to work in that community aspect when it comes to No Face. So kind of talk about your effort when it comes to that. Yeah, I'll tell you my effort. I like the No Face Academy, for example, I talk to these kids all the time and I get on Skype to help them out and stuff as much as I can. I'm, I'm getting really involved. You know, I'm, I'm doing like a uh, I'm, 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 I'm kind of throwing a curveball when it comes to uh, really understanding and tackling how the the whole aspect of uh, being an artist uh, is because. There's like a like a story that Dennis, an interview Dennis showed me about Taylor Swift's first manager, and they were asking her like, "What's your what's your goal?" Like when she was starting out, and she's like, "Oh, I want to sell half a million uh, albums or records, whatever." And yeah. they and and the manager said that, "Well, you we gotta we gotta you gotta meet half a million people, you know." And they started doing these meet and greets and all that stuff until, of course, it got ridiculous, but. That is something that is what we are doing now that no labels are doing, no artists are doing, unfortunately, because they either, you know, there's different reasons. I mean, everybody's got different reasons. Some some kids are a bit more shy, you know, when it comes to like being like studio guys. Some, some dudes think that they're just, uh, you know, too famous to talk to their fans. You know, there's all sorts of different levels. And then... When when I was younger and we were doing uh, what's it called? When, I, when I'm saying younger, I'm saying in my like early twenties. I used to. Uh, I don't want to sound like a, an old <laughs> guy over here. You know what I mean? Back in the seventies, you know what I mean? Uh, I used to think that it was not cool to do that. You know, like you got to be like 
you know, the guy with the leather jacket, you know, people can't really fuck with you. They can't talk to you. Right. You know, they can't really talk to you. That was the thing. It's like, oh, he's untouchable. What does that even mean, dude? Like, it's so crazy to think that some guys uh, are so careful about what they post on Instagram because they think it will make them uncool. And you know what? You're raising you're raising a good point. That's that's really what it is, is instead of being unreachable, we wanted to be obscenely reachable. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Um, We have a discord community. We're always in there. Our artists are in there. There's a collab section. There's a feedback section. We we have over a thousand people in there, and I'm hoping a year from now we're going to have many multiples of that. We have an Instagram where we're you know not just posting stuff, but we're commenting. Send us a DM. You know, somebody from the team will reply. We reply to even though we get hundreds of DMs a day, we reply to every single DM if you can believe it on Instagram. And we get about mm-hmm. 200 uh, demos a day now, which get replies from for every single one of them. And and Max is listening to every d- demo that comes in, replying, giving them the respect of a yes or no or a maybe answer. On top of that, we felt like email's too slow, so let's find a new way to listen to demos. So we created No Face Records on Skype, and people are adding us on Skype every day, Connor, and they're sending yeah. in demos and different uh, uh, artists on our team are are then replying. And if they have time, even jumping on a Skype call and just giving them a quick few minutes like, hey, this is what we think of this record. This is why it works or doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And that's the the community. It's not a logo. It's not colors. It's not any of that. All that's great. It's It's a personal touch that we take very, very seriously. I mean, this seems like such an obvious win-win because all of the you know pr- aspiring producers, they're able to learn from you, talk to you, get immediate feedback, and actually hear back from you guys on the label side. And then from you guys on the label side, you're connecting, you're growing your fan base, you're growing your following, able to grow your business even more. So this seems like such an obvious win-win. Why do you feel like so many labels and artists ignore how powerful this is? I mean, listen, you choose different, uh, it depends on how big you are. If you're, if you're like a, a small label, you know, you only have uh, a limited amount of resources. Like we initially were operating in California. That was kicking our ass. Okay. We moved out, yeah. uh, you know, we moved out to DR, Dominican Republic for a year, now opening up an office in, in Miami and, and stuff like that. Like you, you have to be tactical. Like you have to be tactical because the thing is, it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh yeah, uh, you know, hardwell. Okay. Now you're going to reply to every demo. You know I mean? It's ridiculous. So you have to Mm -hmm. be tactical about it. So that's one reason, you know, of course you have to be really strategic. Like the team that we put together, these are people that are growing with us with an understanding of sacrifice uh, right now, obviously growing the the brand and and whatnot. So what we did, we, we did a little bit something different is, we are getting our own artists involved with all of that. So essentially, other than Dennis and, and, and our PR team, and well, even our PR team, some of our guys are producers. Most of our guy, most of the guys that are working with us, they are producers. They have musical knowledge, which really helps because you can kind of, you know, you're sending an email to ask a question about the distribution portal. And then, you know, guys are like, yo, check out my master. And then, you know, Bernard would be like, yeah, yeah, you know, you got to turn the lead a couple of DBs down. You know what I mean? So it's one of those like super nerdy communities. You know what I mean? I would say to, to add to that, 
is, I mean, I don't know what's going on in, 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 you know, the A&R departments of different labels. I do know that, that they've been signing a lot of our artists, which is awesome. And, and we love that. I would say, uh, I would say it's this many people, probably the majority of artists, producers, just people in general, they grow up and they assume the world's going to be like that when they come on the other side. Uh, but obviously a lot has changed, right? So if you grew up and you said, and you had this vision to be an artist, to be an actor, whatever, right? You looked at people during your time and during your time, they were operating in a different way, right? So, yeah. it, it, and and like, even if you look at, you know, myself and Max, like when we've made so many technological shifts and adjustments and things that now are, are make so much sense to us before made no sense, you know what I mean? Like Max was saying yeah. about, uh, okay, well, well, you want to be close to the people versus far away, all this stuff. You know, for us, it, it took a lot of, traveling around the world, a lot of personal development, a lot of other things, to, a lot of a, a series of epiphanies to get kind of to the point where this made sense. But I would imagine if you haven't been doing that and you've been sort of in the same city, the same place, going to the same Starbucks, doing the same thing for the last 20 years, you just never, it'll take you longer to snap out of it and listen and, and realize, hey, hey, we're in 2020. This Corona happened. This yeah. happened. Like, the world's moving. We 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 got to change. You know what I mean? Yeah, and actually, I, I have the I, I know how to answer your question now in in uh, in one in one word. Actually, that word is team. Without our team, we wouldn't have we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Uh, and in order and going back to what Dennis was talking about the traveling, we traveled the world to find our team. If you think about it, we are not yeah. like. You know, think about the advantage. It's like, you know, I, I was touring Dominican Republic for so many years. We found a guy here uh, randomly at a bar. We found another producer guy in Miami. We found another guy in New York who was uh, in our community. The thing is, like, what's a, what's, a, what's a typical business? You know, a couple of dudes get together at a Starbucks in L.A. and, uh, uh, yo, let's put up a couple of posts hire a couple of guys and then then they realize that their overheads are so ridiculous yeah. that their business goes down the toilet you know what i mean and you know what the other thing is connor uh we don't really talk about this a lot because i mean why would we we're in the music business but max and i are real estate investors okay so be, behind the scenes for years we've been just carefully buying up properties, doing other things. And it's not that we're rolling in Ferraris or anything, but that that we don't we don't really have to work for money anymore. Okay. We work to for some sort of purpose. We reach that point. And I don't know what other points there are as you continue to sort of achieve things. But uh we 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 took this with a very long term plan, and that's allowed us to make moves that maybe you couldn't make yeah. if you were if you if you were worried about paying the rent or your next yeah, paycheck. That's, that's a good point because that's the yeah. other thing is people that are like you know going back to a couple of friends in LA. Let's start a label. Uh, I advise you not to. You know what I mean? Because you mm -hmm. will not make money. You will not be successful unless. I mean, look at, look at the, look at the things that look at the requirements nowadays. First of all, if you don't have like a name behind the label, uh, you're already kind of screwed. You know, look at all the big labels, you yeah. know what I mean? Like other than Monster Cat, 
who are, you know, great company. We look up to them a lot. With the name behind the label, uh, that's that's how it gets bankrolled. You know, if you can't bankroll a label, don't even start a label. I mean, it's such a waste of time. Man. Yes. And if you don't have two years to put into a label, at least to anyone listening who's thinking of starting a label, anybody can start a label. It's quite easy, right? Uh, uh, technically speaking. But if you're if you can't put at least two years of your life into a label, don't do it because it's it's a long road. You know, I would say five. There we go. Five. There's just so many unexpected things that can come up and there's just no way to predict it. And I would almost say it's kind of the same thing with an artist project too, especially if you don't have a big financial backing at the start. It It's going to take a few years, even if you have some support to get to that to a point where it's able to efficiently turn out money. Dude, I was, listen, Dennis came from like business side of things. Like when I graduated from college, if you think I, you know, grabbed a couple of decks and became a superstar, no way, man. I spent two, three years. I started a business also with a couple of my business partners. Uh, and I was bankrolling my career, man. I was, I had a multi-million dollar business that I started with my friends after college. And I was using a lot of those resources to help me elevate. I was working my ass off. I was like, you know, like I was working during the day, producing during the night. And then producing working during the day producing in, uh, during the night and then on the weekends we were doing parties like four times like thursday friday saturday sunday uh yeah. and and i mean it goods i mean there's so much that goes into it i mean like jesus i i feel so bad for these producers that are looking at a martin garrix and they're like oh look all i gotta do is make one song it's like <laughs> yo dude you want to be that guy good luck you know what i mean yeah, there's just so many things that go on beyond the scenes. And that's one of the reasons I love this podcast, because I like to be able to show people artists, for the love of God, are not born overnight. And every single person on this podcast echoes that same thing. Even if they had a track that launched them, like many people do, there's 5, 10, 15 years of work to get to that one song. Dude, I'm going to tell you, I haven't even gotten to that one song. And I've been in this game for 15 years. Like, a lot of people don't realize that like when we were, this is the other thing is that like when size was huge, like we didn't have hit records. And that's the other thing what people need to realize is like, you, like going back to the community, like you got to like figure out what you want to do. Do you want to be a guy who's trying to hit a home run or are you trying to build like a profile? You know what I mean? And that's the thing yeah. is that like, Maybe now I'm like, you know, I'm kind of curious. Like, you know, I was kind of, I kind of had got like a little uh, feel for it. Like when I did a Switchfoot remix, when we were sort of considered for a Grammy remix nomination. And back then I was like, yo, I just want to party with some girls. You know what I mean? I don't even, I didn't even know what the Grammys were, to be honest with you. Now I'm yeah. like, all right, okay. I wonder what it feels like to have a number one. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, and it took me 15 years to say that right now, you know? And, and you know what? I, I used to work across the hall from uh, Marcus Schultz's manager. And, uh, you know, Marcus Schultz, Ferry Corston, some of these other people, Tiesto, of course, they have some really, you know, they, they have an interesting story because, of course, you can be that needle in a haystack that pops off. And that's one way to do it. And if you do, hats off to you. On the other hand, you can be that person who creates, you know, a community and you go to a city and you play a show for $500. Then you come back in half a year. People remember you. You shake a few hands, uh, hang out, all this. You come back for $750. 
and maybe 25, you know, 10, 20, even 25 years later, you turn around and people are like, why is that person playing arenas? It's like, well, that person put in the time and gave their whole life to this. I think a perfect example of that uh, right now would be Bass Nectar. Like if you show somebody who's never heard Bass Nectar before his music, you know, they're not seeing his social media followers and all his shows, they might not be that impressed. But the reason he's able to sell out these ridiculous arenas is because one, he's built up a community and two, he's done that for the past 20, 25 years. Like that guy's as much of a legacy act as you can be kind of at least in terms of the US based artists. And you know, his music's good enough to get there, but that community and then just the amount of hours that he's put in growing and growing and growing is the reason he draws that attention. That's why, that's why, yo, now, like when we're gonna, we're gonna get into festivals down the line and people are gonna be like, oh, what do you know about festivals? We'll be like, watch this, you know, one announcement (laughs) and we'll show you what's up. And and you know what, if you look at Bass Nectar, if you look at Dirty Bird, if you look at I mean, hopefully even no face records. I mean, the whole world doesn't have to love you. We don't, nobody needs 7 billion people. Find your 100,000, find your million, find your 10,000, build that hardcore following and the rest will be intrigued. Or as you said, Connor, maybe they won't care, but screw them, who cares? It's, It's irrelevant. So given how long you guys have been in the music industry, I want to pitch you a couple questions just geared towards kind of more newer or intermediate producers. But before I do that, I just kind of want to wrap up all that you guys are doing at No Face. So you've got obviously the label side with the music. You've got the academy where you're doing all of the educational stuff. Is there any other arms that you guys are currently working on for No Face? So a couple of things. So the No Face Academy, uh, it's a, it, it's a, it's, it's basically our answer to a distro kid. Meaning, if you, uh, w- we looked at artists who are, um, you know, releasing on labels, and then there are artists who who might be releasing independently, which is the most, of course, self distributing. And we thought, wait a sec, but if you're if you're self distributing on CD Baby, Distro Kid, whatever the case may be, where's your feedback? Where's where's somebody telling you, listen, this needs to be mixed and mastered, or or this isn't there yet? We make a few tweaks, and that's why we created No Face Academy. So it's it's a, it's an academy meets uh, you know with some on demand education uh, meets yeah. a distribution company for. a month. So we definitely ain't trying to make millions off you. When you work with us, either as an artist or on the academy side, I think the thing that surprises people the most is that we're insanely reachable. Okay. So we do calls with people. Our team does calls with people. We, we know we live and breathe this thing. We sometimes show up at your door randomly with flowers and candy. (laughs) And that is just so surprising to people that they actually get a response back. Like I get that um, a decent amount just like from running the podcast and doing all the courses and articles. And then Sam Matla gets that too, where people are like, oh, it's you. And right now, like at Edium Pro, we're just a team of three and people are just so surprised to hear back. But that can be a humongous value add because making that personal connection just cements that person as being a fan, a super fan and a supporter. We had people, uh, no, I kid you not. Uh, we had people... Uh, it was a, it was a, it backfires on you because we had some people that were like, oh, they have this like auto thing uh, that Max Vangeli listened to my demo, whatever. And I reply back, I'm like, would you like to get on a FaceTime with me to see what's <laughs> up? Like, I, and they're like, holy shit, man, I can't believe it. Oh my god, like I usually don't even get replies from labels. Well, I'm like, well, you do now, you know what I mean? What's up? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it, I mean, it's wild. It's like, it's kind of like 
you know, you know, even like with companies, it's like, you know, when Amazon is like, oh, 24 seven, if you have a problem with your package, please call now. And you call and you're like, here we go. And they're like, hi, sir, how may I help? You're like, holy shit, you picked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how it is. And isn't that fun though? Is that, I, I feel like it's fun versus people saying, oh, that's whack. Oh, you're losing. I get guys saying it's like, oh, you're, uh, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're losing your value. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, what is, what is my value? My value is when I'm sitting, chilling on my couch, you know, doing shit when I don't want to, you know, that's my personal value. But what I do in public, like different people have different ways of doing shit. We're supposed to increase your chances of success. Nobody in this business can guarantee success. We need to increase your odds of success. And yeah, if yeah. that means talking to every single one of you, all, all 30,000 of our Instagram followers, call, oh, I'm sorry, 31, call me. Call Uncle D, what's up? Cool. So a couple more questions and then we'll wrap things up. We've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. And obviously in all of the calls and conversations that you're having, you're hearing a lot of music from intermediate producers. I'm curious, is there any common issues that you hear in a lot of the music that you hear that's good, but not necessarily at a level that you guys will sign it yet? Yes. Stop using splice, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> splice fucked everything up, dude. I made it on a, I mean, I can't control it because uh, obviously it's not like there's a Shazam for splice samples. You know what I mean? But I have a funny yeah, story. Yeah. Like I signed the record, this vocal record and uh, mm, well, I was pretty excited about it. Love the record. And then I was chilling by the pool with Dennis and there was this DJ playing. All right. So, so random. Remember in Capcana and I'm like, I'm listening to the song and I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, and, and I hear this vocal, right. And I Shazam it. And I go back to this dude and I'm like, listen, did you do a remix of this? I don't understand. Like I, I signed the record, but we haven't released it. But this dude by the pool was already playing it, but it didn't sound like your instrumental. And this was a kind of like when it hit me, I was like, oh my God, dude, like this is becoming ridiculous, man. With splice, man. This is why we're adding a lot of stuff in our academy, like a lot of samples and stuff that, you know, like, man, people need to like, people are, dude, you want to be famous and you want to drop a splice vocal? Come on, bro. Like, you know, that's just, that's ridiculous. But, um, but what, one thing on the positive note though, is, you know, the actual engineering side of things from kids that are literally working on their laptops, you know, in their bedrooms with some headphones and stuff. It, it's really awesome to see how much the sound has elevated uh, for yeah. a bedroom producer. Like, I'm getting shit from guys that I was like, yo, uh, how long have you been producing? And this guy's like, I'm 13. I was like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, I feel uh, old and not good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's why, dude, when you're like a, when you're like a dude who is like uh, coming off of like, you know, like from like kind of like the wave that I'm at right now, if you don't surround yourself by that new wave, you're inevitable to just die out. It's a fact. And then uh, as far as, as far as advice for the, for the, uh, newer producers. Here's the other thing I'd say. Okay. If you're, if you're self-releasing your tracks, great. Continue do, doing that. But if you're shopping for records, um, look, look at all spectrums, right? Okay. So for example, if you're, if you're dreaming to get signed to spin it as, as an example, and they're not, you know, in that hasn't happened yet. Well, well don't get stuck on that. In other words, 
every label, just like artists look at each other, right? Like Tiesto's looking at whoever and they're looking at whoever and you sort of have a, a bit of a hierarchy, if you will. The same thing is true with labels. So, it, it, you know, if you feel like your music is good and, and you know, certain labels for whatever reason, maybe they're getting, I don't know, hundreds of demos and it's just not happening or, or maybe you don't have a relationship with them, whatever the case may be, well, give indie labels a chance, give the newer labels a chance. You know what I mean? If yeah. you're, if you're a new artist and you're complaining that nobody's giving you a shot, but you're not giving new labels a shot, well, who's a hypocrite now? Yeah. Cool. So one last question. We've talked about a lot of things that you guys are doing over at No Face. Anything else that you want to mention that you two have coming up in the next few months? Well, we have a ton of music. Uh, what else do we the have? The end of Corona. Oh, hopefully. yeah. Listen, listen. I'll tell you so a few things. I do want to plug to anybody listening. Send in your demos to demosandnofacerecords.com. We will gladly listen. Beyond that, though, we have two exciting things coming up. Uh, Max is going to beautiful Punta Cana, Dominican Republic, where we are going to open electronic music's possibly first music studio and office, literally beachfront. Not possibly first. Uh, and island vibes, the whole thing. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. And I think people are going to see where we're, we're going to host some things. It's going to be crazy. And then I'm headed, uh, a two hour flight West to Miami where, uh, I'll be opening up, um, uh, no faces, uh, uh, you know, downtown Miami uh, office. So basically we're going to be uh, like full tropical. We already kind of have been, but we're going to take it to the next level. And, uh, you know, we're just really big in island, palm trees, enjoying life and good vibes. I think it's so much work, all the stuff that we're doing, like what you're doing, what the labels and like in general, like this, like there's a lot of, there's so much work involved. It's not like, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of uh, things that need to be done. And I think Dennis and I kind of found this resolution where it was difficult to kind of leave California because we kind of grew up there. And like, it's always like, oh, no, I got to do I got to be here. I got to be here. And I think Corona because you almost went back to L.A. Yep. And after coronavirus, especially like what real what everybody realized and they're like, holy fuck, we don't need to be anywhere. You know, we just got to yeah. be where we got to be. You know what I mean? Especially now. Like, now it doesn't matter, dude. Like, we're doing, I'm doing collabs on Skype with people. I mean, it's ridiculous. We're just, like, sharing screen. You know what I mean? Uh, so, I think a lot of things will change. And that's why uh, it's about being happy. Uh, and I just, like, I hate, like, I love LA, man. Like, but I just hate seeing these kids sometimes, you know, like, drop everything they got going on and just like move there because they think uh, uh the, the you know the golden the golden goose is gonna lay an egg and give it to you and you're gonna be the one who's gonna make it you don't need to go anywhere to make it you know what i mean like it's it's it, it's a it's something important for people to realize honestly yes and the, and the thing is things are so virtual now on the flip side if you want a job if you want a career in the music industry there's a case to be made to go live in New York, LA, London, of course, Nashville. Yeah. On the flip side, as as you said, I mean, it it really depends. It might make sense. It might not. If you're artist. if you're running a business, you got to look at your operations, and that's what's pe what people. I I would pick I would pick operation costs uh, over location in a heartbeat. Like if we were doing this in LA, 
Uh, I'd be pulling my hairs, and every time I'd have a Skype call with one of our students, I'd probably be bitching them out. I'd be like, you're calling me? <laughs> so so that's basically that. We have, of course, as always, new music, you know, new artists, God willing, some shows. Um, yeah. And if I can uh, uh, drop a little bit of um, exclusive information, which, in. which we gonna... may or may not have permission, but we're going to go ahead and do it. We've been uh, approached by the powers that be in Ibiza, and um, they are uh, uh, very interested in No Face, uh, some experimental No Face no nights. No Face residency, what nights? In Ibiza. Ooh, so uh, so if the season opens up this year, you might uh, see us. If not, 2021, we'll see you yeah, in Ibiza. Yeah, yeah. And we're not going to be on the side of the island where your table costs more than your car. We're going to be where the people are charging you $20 to get in so we can all party and have the masses come. Love that. Sweet. Well, with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. You can all learn more about No Face Records and everything that they're doing in the description of this episode. Max, Dennis, been great chatting with you. Appreciate you guys being on the show. Thanks so much, Connor. Yeah, Connor, thanks, man. It'd be awesome to meet you one day. I'm sure we'll run into you uh, eventually. And uh, thanks for having us once again. Definitely, guys. Take care.